，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Offson 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。There's just over six months to go before the 2024 presidential election. At the National Security Bureau, preparations are already underway to meet the challenges of campaign security. For the coming election cycle, the Bureau's Secret Service unit will deploy some 220 personnel to protect the candidates. Drone defense will be a top priority, as will security measures against lone wolf attacks, like the one that killed former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo last year. A wall of bodyguards keeping press at a distance, bulletproof glass shielding candidates in a motorcade. These are the key security measures of every election cycle ahead of the presidential election in January 2024. The National Security Bureau's Secret Service unit is planning accordingly. According to sources with knowledge of the matter, the NSB will deploy some 220 personnel in a so-called 3 plus 1 formation. At least 80% of the staff will have prior experience in security. They will undergo basic and advanced training, which will be capped with a drill next month. The force will be officially formed in November. Given recent technological advancements, one priority will be drone defense. Security will be equipped with the drone interceptors typically used at large events. They will also have drone jammers and gunshot detectors. The goal is to create a seamless security network and prevent unfortunate incidents. Last July, former Japan Prime Minister Abe Shinzo was shot dead at close range at a political campaign event. This April, Japan's current Prime Minister Kishida Fumio was evacuated unharmed from a campaign event after a bomb was thrown at him. Both incidents were lone wolf crimes, meaning that they were committed by individuals acting alone. The NSB says it will rigorously prepare for such crimes. The changing times and these new types of crime put up different challenges for campaign security, especially after last year's lone wolf assassination of former Japan Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. The National Security Bureau needs to rethink how it protects presidential candidates, how to prevent lone wolf attacks, and how to strengthen motorcade security and protection against drones. These are all important issues the National Security Bureau will deal with in its exercises. With just over six months before election day, the NSB is making plans to deal with any contingency. Just over a year ago, former Japan Prime Minister Abe Shinzo was shot dead when giving a speech at a campaign event. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe has announced an exhibition commemorating Abe, a firm friend of Taiwan. The event will run from July 15th to August 13th. Besides images of his tenure as prime minister, there will also be an artist depiction of Mr. Abe and former President Li Denghui drinking and conversing in heaven. I want to say that for the people of Japan and for the people of Taiwan, Abe was the best friend one could have. The mayor said Abe made an indelible mark in history. The exhibition showcases Abe's leadership of Japan as well as his friendship with Taiwan. Abe's widow, Abe Akie, is scheduled to visit Tainan on July 17th. 
She will also make a stop at Kaohsiung's Fengshan District to see a bronze statue commemorating the former prime minister. The defense ministry denies an allegation that the U.S. asked Taiwan to develop bioweapons. According to a recent report, Taiwan built a high-security P-4 laboratory at Washington's request for the purpose of developing biological weapons. The report also claims that former Premier Su Zintang presided over two secret meetings concerning the project. But Su adamantly denies the claim, saying he was too busy tackling the pandemic to hold secret meetings. Last year, before Dragon Boat Festival, President Tsai Ing-wen inspected Taiwan's only P4 laboratory at the National Defense Medical Center. Now, a report has emerged claiming that the U.S. asked the center to build a P4 lab in order to research and develop biological weapons. The report states that then-Premier Su Zhenchang spearheaded two secret meetings on the matter, codenamed Nanhai Working Meeting. Su rejected the accusation. He said he had been busy with his duties as Premier and his COVID-related work. He said he did not hold any secret meetings, dismissing the report as disinformation. In a rare move, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs lambasted certain media outlets accusing them of misreporting reality to create sensationalistic articles that undermine the government's diplomatic efforts. The defense ministry also denounced the bioweapon claims. The claim that the U.S. is pressuring Taiwan to develop biological weapons is untrue. Laboratories are classified based on their biocontainment precautions, ranging from biosafety level 1 to level 4, or P1 to P4. P1 and P2 labs conduct research unrelated to health and diseases and on microbes that cause mild disease, respectively. P3 labs handle serious and potentially lethal diseases, for example, COVID-19. The highest security P4 labs target severe diseases for which there are no vaccines or treatments, such as SARS, which caused an outbreak in 2003. We are currently making plans to establish a new P4 laboratory. After its completion, it will become a leading facility in the Asia-Pacific region for combating emerging and recurring infectious diseases. Back in 2021, the military had made a statement on the purpose of the P4 lab. Now that attention is back on the lab, it's once again repeating its words. The Boham Symphonic Orchestra is set to perform in Taiwan this September, bringing the beauty of classical music with a German feel. Before the tour, Taiwan's de facto ambassador to Japan headed over to Boham to show his support for the ensemble, which is directed by a Taiwanese conductor. Representative to Germany, Xie Zhiwei says he's glad to see how far the city has come in promoting the arts since his time as a student at a German university. Taiwan's representative to Germany, Xie Zhiwei, rushed from Berlin to Bochum to show his support for Taiwanese conductor Zhuang Dongjie, who's directing the city's symphonic orchestra. Xie's connection with Bochum goes way back, as he had earned his PhD from the Rural University Bochum. He says he's glad to be back. This was a center for coal mining, which is extremely grueling work. It's also a melting pot of peoples and cultures. I think this place may be plain and humble, but it's similar to Taiwan in that its best scenery is the people. Bochum has a population of 360,000 and a rich, unique culture. 
the area was once an important coal mining center for Germany. But even with the transition away from heavy industry, remnants of the city's coal mining past remain. Machinery and metallic structures have been converted to art installations, and a mining museum dubbed the world's largest has been opened. The city is proactively promoting theatre and music in a bid to become a city of culture. In the lobby across from the Student Activity Center, the busiest booth was usually the Bohem Cultural Booth. You could buy very cheap student tickets and seasonal and annual passes. There were seasonal and annual passes for music, too. So I was drawn to this place even back then. As a student, he witnessed Bohem's efforts to promote cultural events. The city has also plenty of charming sights. There are the ruins of a moated manor that was damaged in World War II. There are small towns with timbered houses, some with more than 500 years of history. The city has a rich cultural heritage and a unique music scene. Of course, the biggest highlight is that a Taiwanese musical director has come here. I think it's such a rare treat, because this is at the heart of traditional and classical symphonic music. Taiwanese fans of Western music would be delighted here. Speaking on the upcoming tour, Xie says he hopes it will bring a unique sound and energy to Taiwan's audience. The largest traditional Hakka residence in Taiwan is opening up to the public. Jiang Xiaohao is a Hakka clan residence that dates back to 1918. Its owners want to set up a food garden on site where children and older adults can work together to produce their own food. They also plan to welcome visits from kindergartens. In a recent visit, children were amazed by the rich and mysterious symbolism of the buildings. Let's go to Taoyuan's Yangmei district to see for ourselves. This dark red gate is a side entrance of Jiangxia Hall. It only reaches an adult's waist, but it's towering over these kids' heads. Look closely at the gore design on the wood. It represents good fortune, happiness, and richness. A child taps gently on the door knocker. Inside, the coin-shaped tiles on the floor and the open beams in the ceiling are fascinating relics of a different era. Jiangxia Hall is more than 100 years old. It's the largest and best-preserved surviving example of a traditional Hakka residence. In 2021, it was classed as a historical site of municipal importance. These intricately carved beams in the eaves once showed off the magnificence of the Huang clan. Even after all these years, they're no less splendid. The hall's manager, Huang Yao Lu, wants to open the hall to the public and bring life back into the old bricks. If nobody visits the place, then a historical site can easily fall into ruin because there's no life. That's why everyone in our family agrees that it would be best to open the space up. I think it's a great experience to introduce the children to this Hakka historical site with a class trip. The site is not just living testimony to the flourishing of one family. It's also part of the history of the settlement of Yangmei District. The hall is working with Wanan University to establish a food and farming education site here. The plan is for retirees to manage a vegetable garden where children can come and learn to grow food, getting in touch with the roots of Hakka culture as well as the roots of their meals in the earth. We move now to Taipei's Datong district, where a repaired sinkhole has sunk again. The first hole appeared last Saturday on Nanjing West Road. 
The road sank by about one meter and was quickly filled in. But by the early hours of Monday, the road had collapsed again, this time by a depth of 2.5 meters. City officials say the new hole will take at least two days to repair. For now, the road remains closed, closed off to traffic. A preliminary investigation suggests that the holes were caused by a broken wastewater pipe. Another day, another sinkhole. Last Saturday, a small sinkhole appeared on this road and was quickly patched up. But the ground caved in again on Monday, leaving a hole even larger than before. Taipei has cordoned off the road and closed it to traffic. The borough warden says small sinkholes often pop up and there is constant repair work. So the warning signs were there. So when small sinkholes appear, you have to watch out. The councillor says that sinkholes large and small have long afflicted the area. Residents wonder why the holes are only getting bigger after repairs. This latest incident struck near the intersection of Nanjing West Road and Huanhe North Road in Taipei's Datong District. The first collapse on July 8th was just about one metre deep, but the second one on July 10th hit a depth of 2.5 metres. Taipei Mayor Jiang Wan'an led an inspection of the site at 7 a.m. To ensure the safety of residents, we immediately dispatched a team of experts to inspect the area. We also closed off this stretch of Nanjing West Road in both directions between Huanghe North Road and Xining North Road. It's been announced on the police broadcasting service so that everyone is aware of this. An excavator dug into the sinkhole on Monday to find out the reason for the collapse. Cracks on the road surface were discovered at 11.14 p.m. on Sunday. One crack turned into two as the investigation continued, expanding into large seams by 1.50 a.m. The road eventually collapsed, shaking up area residents. They might have to dig up the whole place. There was also a collapse last week over there. We hadn't seen anything like this here in the past 50 or 60 years. The buildings are standing upright just fine. But the side drains are falling in this direction. From a monitoring system and from an on-site investigation, we think the building should be safe for the time being. The city government has installed tilt sensors in the nearby buildings, six manual and four automatic. For now, no damage has been found in nearby basements. The city government says the road could reopen to traffic as soon as two days from now. The Taichung International Airport is getting a third terminal. Premier Chen Jianren announced the project on Monday during an inspection tour. The new terminal is a part of a plan to boost Taichung's international passenger volume. The Premier said the surrounding transfer system would also be improved to make it easier for locals to travel abroad. Let's hear from him. During the pandemic, because there was a reduction in international flights, there was a fall in passenger volume. Now we have resumed the flights. Six routes have been restored. In the future, we hope to continue charter flights to Japan, South Korea and Vietnam. We want to encourage an increase in traffic to make travel more convenient for our citizens. We also want to boost tourism. The next phase of our plan is terminal number three, that is, the expansion of the International Gateway. The Civil Aeronautics Administration has already started this project. In particular, we have had discussions with the Taichung city government on expediting process of the metro's orange line to align with the airport expansion. The Taichung airport is very important. 
That is to say, tourists who come to Taiwan, we don't want every one of them to go to Taoyuan International Airport because that would make it very congested. So our thinking is, Taichung, central Taiwan, has beautiful mountains and rivers. We hope that in the future, we can promote Taichung as a direct destination for international tourists. According to the transport minister, all 14 pre-pandemic flight routes will be restored at Taizong within a year. He said that with the new terminal and local transport upgrades, Taizong will be in position to become a global travel hub. Now to a pop topic that's both super ordinary and for many people hard to talk about. Menstrual periods are a natural part of life, but social norms, prejudice, and lack of understanding can make them a painful topic. Students at National Taipei University have created an innovative campaign to change that. Wen Chunyu and Wang Liangxing are part of a class studying public policy. Their campaign for menstrual equality aims to make it easier to talk about periods. They're encouraging parents to teach kids that periods are nothing to be ashamed of. Menstrual periods are a normal fact of life for women, but after generations of conditioning, women and girls often find periods hard to talk about. Second-generation Vietnamese Taiwanese student Wen Chun Yu is a third year at the Department of Public Administration and Policy at National Taipei University. She and her classmates have memories of period shame from childhood. When I wanted to borrow a menstrual product from a classmate, they would very secretly open their bag like this and carefully hand it over from deep in the bag all wrapped up. Perhaps my classmates felt a bit anxious about it or felt ashamed. When I was younger, I had just got my period and one time I couldn't join the swim class. So I told my teacher I had my period and the teacher told the whole class during roll call that it wasn't appropriate for me to go swimming. And then the little boys in the class heard and after the class they were mocking me for having my period. And as they did that, I was asking myself, is it dirty or wrong to get a period as a girl? Wen and her classmates have created a public policy campaign in their social innovation class to shift attitudes toward menstruation. Their campaign, It's a Period, Not a Panic, includes educational posters, social media advocacy, and the provision of menstrual products in elementary school bathrooms. It aims to spread awareness of menstrual equality issues and reduce feelings of shame associated with using menstrual products. What we hope is that parents can educate both girls and boys at home so that menstrual equality can become reality in each person's heart and mind. With our campaign, we want girls to feel that there's nothing shameful about periods at all. It's a completely normal thing. Wen and her classmates are interested in topics like menstrual inequality and stigmatization and the ongoing prevalence of period poverty worldwide. With the benefit of personal experience and insight, they're reflecting on social phenomena and developing their power becoming the change they want to see in the world. A team of craftspeople in Taichung are making unique accessories and everyday items from recycled plastic. The volunteer crafters count among their numbers Wang Yulian, aged 84, who has been on the team for three decades. Weaving techniques are used to turn used plastic into hats, baskets, and even art projects. Some of their work is fashionable headwear, and other items are traditional farming tools. We went to Taizong's Longjing district to check out the upcycling workshop. 
With great concentration, colorful strapping bands are woven together layer by layer. An adorable persimmon hanging emerges from these seven orange and green bands in less than an hour's work. Us older people have a lot of time in our hands, so we collect these eco-friendly straps. We all do it together in a group. We collect these straps from the newspaper office to use as materials. At 84, Grandma Wang, as she's known, has been in this volunteer upcycling team for more than 30 years. She also goes out to clean the streets in her neighborhood every day, and she's determined to practice what she preaches when it comes to an eco-friendly lifestyle. Together with her teammates, she breathes new life into these recycled materials. Their exhibit space is full to bursting with items. Shoulder poles for carrying seedlings to the fields, ladles for scooping up water, and colorful hats, all woven out of strapping bands. They also make cartons for beverages and unique patchwork hats. You won't find accessories like this in the mall. And the volunteers find time to work surprising and charming details into their designs. Here, they've used a discarded pair of trousers to create a fruit basket, including the fruit. We got some bits of flag fabric and children's trousers, bits that were worn or particularly nice looking, and we made these bananas. These are lychee seeds, and these are real shells. When I started the group, she started doing it. She really devotes her heart and sacrifices for it. It's not like the average person simply looking to make a profit. And just how eco-friendly is the team? Well, a trip to their workshop reveals that even their own trash can is made of recycled materials. Grandma Wang and her teammates are giving their all for their craft and using their creativity to care for Mother Earth. The Taiwan Railways Administration has unveiled the R200, its first high-performance diesel-electric locomotive from Europe. The R201 and R202 went on display on Monday at the Zhanghua Railway Roadhouse. The R200 series is painted blue over a white backdrop. It's produced by Switzerland's Stadler Rail and comes equipped with a powerful environmentally friendly engine. The R200 can use 4G signaling to report malfunctions, improving rail safety. It's set to enter use by the end of the year, mainly for freight transport, emergency rescue and military missions.